Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype, right to the heart of the big issues of the day. Today, we're following up the recent COP26 meeting in Glasgow and taking the temperature of global green tech investment opportunities, thanks to a new report from the UBS Global Wealth Management CIO entitled Leading the Way to Net Zero. On the programme today, we'll hear from two of the report's authors on the shift in global momentum to tackle the climate crisis, which has been happening in fits and starts over the last decade. Climate models suggest global warming will intensify until the world reaches net zero emissions, hopefully around the year 2050. Progress has been made on many fronts, including huge strides in renewable energy generation, which is increasingly cost competitive. But much more remains to be done, and speed will be of the essence. The 26th Conference of the Parties of the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, COP26, has been arguably the most important such gathering since the Paris Agreement was signed back in 2015. While COP26 has prompted the adoption of significant regulations aimed at mitigating climate risks, public policies such as carbon taxes or pricing to incentivise change, massive infrastructure investments and green subsidies, probably the biggest challenge remains closing the gap between rhetoric and action. So what does that process look like and what does it mean for, and indeed, where does that create the most compelling opportunities for, smart investors who are also looking to make an enduring impact? Well, let's start with Rolf Ganter, who heads the European equity team at the UBS Global Wealth Management CIO. Rolf Ganter, thanks for joining us again. Just tell me a little bit about an event like COP26, though. What what does that do to shape or reshape the narrative around themes, you know, like leading the way to net zero? Presumably this sort of event, this kind of moment is really important for focusing attention and and really getting people to to kind of buy into the significance of narratives like this. You're right, Tom, right? I mean, just give you a little bit background here. I mean, last year we started with a theme on, on European green tech. And when clearly when it was, let's say, crystal clear, we're going to have COP26 this year, we thought earlier this year, let's do something more on a global scale, which we did. And so for us, because we always try to be relevant and on time, right? We thought now it's the time to launch something really more explicit on global green tech on the way to net zero. And the COP26 was, you know, in this respect, going this direction. And we thought we give something to our clients at their hand, which explains the way we look at it from, let's say, a chief investment point of view, chief investment office point of view, and also offering the ability to invest in, in, let's say, companies given these kind of enabling technologies, which help to reach that goal. So, I mean, a lot of people talking about, you know, the potential for COP26 or this new focus, uh, Rolf, to be, a, you know, potentially a or the decisive moment. Do you, do you think we are at an inflection point like that? Well, I don't know if we would say it let's say we are at the point i think it's a, for us it's more a gradual process but it really just i think puts in focus in everybody's mind right of governments of the public societies across the world because you know it has been so much in focus and it's just like i would say also a little bit the wake-up call with all the studies we've seen during 2021 and i think it's just like a little bit an eye-opener and reconfirming and really like putting it as i said back in focus of people that this is really an important issue we need to address Indeed. Let's talk then about what kind of moment this is in terms of this extraordinary 
mobilization of capital, funneling it into certain areas, you know, areas like renewable energy, of course, which have been so significant over the last, you know, 10 to 20 years. We always like to look at this from the investor point of view, of course, Rolf. What is the opportunity here for investors, you know, to really explore some of these themes in new, in new depth? The way we thought about it, we, we put it into four categories. We thought like, hey, what are the four, let's say, major, we call that green tech themes? And we talked about green energy, green energy infrastructure, green mobility, and, and green manufacturing. And within these ones, these four categories, we thought about these kind of enabling technologies. So how long does it take for mass adoption? What are the investment opportunities? And when will we touch them, right? Because, you know, quite often we also have to experience certain things are hyped or it's all over the focus. But actually, when it comes to investment opportunities or, you know, where do we stand? Does it make sense or not? And so we had here some clear timelines established when we look also at certain of these enabling technologies, just to give something uh, to the hands in our, for our, let's say, clients or readers that they understand what is important now and what might come a little bit later. Yeah, and in the piece, you mentioned the enabling technologies there, and these are some things which we've discussed before on this program, um, clean energy, uh, electrification, bioenergy, and so on. Were there any of the sort of particular chapters, pieces in the report, Rolf, where you kind of felt it was just particularly important? I don't know, or, or things where, you know, in the act with all of your colleagues putting this piece together that you really felt something exciting was happening in particular. Could you pick out one or two of the enabling technologies that you just thought were particularly pertinent? at this moment? I mean, clearly all of them is exciting, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, we wouldn't have written it. But I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I'm also heading, right, not only European equity team, but my passion and also my job, I'm also the automotive analyst. So I, I took care of mobility. So let's start with mobility then first. I mean, I'm a strong believer in electrification. So, and that will happen. And years ago, people did not believe that, right? Now, if we look fast forward where we are today, I mean, we are looking at markets like China or looking at Europe, right? We are already at 20% and more of new vehicles being actually electrified. Electrified means like full electric or plug-in hybrid. So we see a lot of things going on. And it was also great to see, for example, a world record recently in commercial vehicles, right? Everybody talks about electric cars, but not so many talk about commercial vehicles. And when you see suddenly a truck, a heavy truck, which runs, let's say, 1,000 kilometers on one battery charge, I mean, that shows you things are moving. Things are moving very fast and moving away from, let's say, fossil fuels more towards electrification. So I found that very fascinating because the speed and what's happening there is, is really, really interesting. Uh, second point, because you asked me for two, right? I mean, also, when we looked at green manufacturing, I mean, sometimes people think, you know, they all wait, people wait and companies wait for governments and regulators to be active. But, you know, companies are also part of this planet and they think far ahead in, in many instances. And so a lot of the companies we are looking at, or if we also have the pleasure talking to the CEOs and CFOs of these companies, right, they're already going far beyond that because they know a lot of things will change. They want to be prepared. Think about how long it takes, which you do nowadays, CapEx nowadays, need to run that plan for many, many years. So you're already taking a way, way, way outlook there in the future and you're really implemented today. That was quite interesting to see how um, companies are prepared for that in the manufacturing processes, in the automation, to make it really as, as net carbon zero as possible already today. So um, I think there were quite interesting findings we have here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I want to ask you specifically about uh, some regulatory concerns. You, you mentioned that there, and that's really interesting. Just before that, though, I thought it was one really interesting sort of reflection in the piece, Rolf, which was that 
you know, there, there's there's rapid commercialization which has been needed and which remains required for for many of you know even proven aspects of technology that we've talked about already um, to to really accelerate to to sort of be to be mainstreamed. Can you talk about that? Because you talked about the pace of change broadly, but this specific sort of the pace of commercialization that's needed is sometimes a narrative that gets overlooked. And it struck me that that was quite important. I mean, quite often I tell you, it's really about do the economics of make sense, right? At the end, if you think about it, if you're, let's say, your business, you, if you see the economics are right and you're doing something good, hey, then, you know, you tick all the right boxes. And I think in some instances, we are clearly there that if you look, what do you save in energy or cost for CO2 certificates? If you add everything up, so the all in cost, and when you look, for example, when you install renewable capacity, right, how much is prices came down and suddenly the economics made sense for companies to invest big time in that. And that is really actually that stuff which really made a lot of progress. And this one is, in my view or in our view, actually a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because not only doing, let's say, good because we are forced to do good, but hey, we're doing good and it makes economically sense. So ecologically sense and economically sense. And I think that uh, is for me or for us this moment where things get them really, really going through the roof, i.e. accelerate big time, right? This is the way we look at it. Yeah, well, let's pick up on on this regulatory environment, because I think that's really important. And it's often sort of talked about as, you know, the elephant in the room, isn't it? Um, How would you characterise and what what conclusions does the report draw, Rolf, in terms of what the regulatory environment looks like today and indeed will look like or need to look like as we move forward? I mean, here it's clear, right? There's not one global regulation, right? We have different markets. We have different regions always start different mindsets, different attitudes, and also different regulations. So I think here we really have to differentiate um, where we are and where we want to go. I mean, clearly we are here located in Europe. Um, Europe, the way we look at it, is really spearheading a lot of things in terms of the development of where they want to go. So this kind of fit for 55, where really the European Union has quite, uh, I would say, demanding targets in mind. Uh, you know, also nowadays a lot of Big markets and regions in this world followed with their commitments, uh, being it net zero carbon neutral by 2050, 60 or 70. But as I said, it comes down to individual regulations. And, you know, a lot of it depends really what is then at the end implemented by by the local authorities and and. Uh, I think that at the end determines and where, where we end, right? So there's not a one fits all, but you really have to go into the, let's say, nitty gritty of the individual regulations. And that's also the beauty uh, when we talk about global green tech, that from an investment point of view, you can really look in these areas where uh, it makes sense and perhaps other things we touch at a later stage. Rolf Ganter. Next, let's hear from Stephanie Choi from Hong Kong. Stephanie's Sustainable Impact Investing Strategist for Asia in the CIO of UBS and another of the authors of the piece. Stephanie explores ideas that help investors generate returns as well as aligning their investments with the SDGs. Stephanie, welcome to the programme. And to kick things off then, where are we at in the the mainstreaming of SI? Because it's been really interesting talking to colleagues all through UBS over the last few years, really, how we're maybe at this inflection point where SI stops being a kind of a you know a niche or a, a thematic and just informs all investing decisions before we get into the detail of of this of this re- of report and what's happening at cop and all the rest of it where are we at on that on that mainstreaming of, of si it must be something that crops up in well probably every day in the work that you do right 
So actually within my team, um, so we, we have um, six of us globally who focus on sustainable investing within UBS CIO. And within the team, we have this running joke that um, our ultimate goal is to put ourselves out of jobs because if everyone can talk about SI, then, you know, we'll become redundant. So I think we're kind of partway through that. <laughs> so right now, I think the growth of SI in terms of assets under management has been just snowballing. And it's really hard to really commit to a particular measure, but at least based on Morningstar data, um, so global uh, sustainable investment funds have reached $3.9 trillion at the end of that quarter. And just in context, um, this has gone up by around four times in the past two years. And, uh, you know, uh, if you look at like different uh, measures, like, effectively are, are around institutional investors, one in $3, one in $4 um, would be sustainable investing tagged. Operating here at UBS Wealth Management, um, I think, you know, private uh, wealth owners, the penetration is not quite there, but it's rapidly rising. And I would say that, you know, the, the conversation has shifted very dramatically this year in particular. If you look at in the run-up to COP, um, we've had these, you know, natural gas crises, power crises, not only in the UK and EU, but also in China globally, you've had all these tightness in supply that's uh, really kind of driven by the, this rapid uh, rise in energy pricing, freight pricing. And that is actually deeply affecting the everyday lives and the everyday operations of real businesses, whether they are sustainability, you know, focused or not. And I think that reality has really um, driven home what we've been talking all along, which is that sustainable investing is no longer a nice to have, but it's actually a must do. In the conclusion to the report, of course, it sort of sums up this point that there has to be a dramatic scaling up, if we're talking about green tech specifically, to reduce these these emissions, which are at the heart of so much of this. And and it's interesting that we, we rely on, you know, accelerations across the board, both in the further innovation of technology, its deployment in the real world. Uh, and that obviously always comes with a with a with a price tag. Um, and at that point, I guess we get into this, 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 this point around not just the opportunity, but the necessity to, to kind of scale this up. How much of that, Stephanie, is dependent or contingent on actually introducing new products, you know, for investors, new and innovative tools to put at their disposal to try and address some of these big things? Or how much of it is still about a shift in, you know, in opinion, a shift in, in attitude? Or are those two things inextricably linked together? I do think that they are inextricably linked together insofar as we do need products, but we do not, it's not a quantity of products. We need uh, innovative products, right? So so we need, for example, like addressing, going back to what you, you mentioned about specifically with regards to kind of emerging green tech. And a lot of these may be at different stages, earlier stages of investments where the technical and operational and financing risks, so all different types of risks are much higher. And the mechanism, so like the market mechanism for clearing these 
rest may not necessarily be very robust. So for example, when I mentioned, um, you know, so early on, I mentioned that, oh, according to Morningstar, like 3.9 trillion in sustainable investing. These are listed equity and fixed income funds. The gap, the financing gap that I mentioned earlier with regards to emerging tech, that is going to happen, you know, in VC or even seed stage. And I think at the moment, um, those uh, financing channels are not yet at scale or the risk, the inherent um, investment risk that is carried by such, um, such, such technologies are not clearing, you know, they, they, they're still too high for broader market investing appetite. So, you know, if you look at some of the more innovative uh, sustainable finance structures that have come through in past years, what we're really trying to do is to try and find ways to lower that risk or to divide up that risk so that it becomes more palatable and attractive for private investors or scalable capital to go into the opportunities that we really need, like the technologies we really need, the conservation projects we really need in order to make a dent on climate action globally. Talk to us next, Stephanie, about how rapid commercialization is needed for lots of the even proven technologies that Rolf discussed and that you've already mentioned, for how we need more of these these broader alliances and partnerships, both private and public, to drive real change in this space? I'm personally quite optimistic and constructive about these because we need to have these dialogues in order to facilitate those kinds of situations. So, for example, you mentioned that in the report, we also mentioned that commercialization of even mature technologies are still not straightforward, right? So for example, in in Australia or in Japan, like developed markets, like very mature markets and using solar or wind, you know, again, very mature technologies, like, and, you know, the, the cost is effectively like break even with fossil fuels, right? But you still have questions around, you know, whether or not, um, you know, these renewable, like solar farms can get on grid, whether they can sell their, um, electricity. And these are administrative issues or their infrastructure issues. So that's why, you know, I think when we look at the viewpoint that we expressed in the report is that, look, you know, you have all these exciting technologies, but it's not just about the technologies. You also need significant infrastructure investment. You need a collaborative, you know, cross-sector discussion to break down a lot of these like bottlenecks and siloed operating frameworks in order to get there, right? And so there's no kind of finger pointing, oh, this is the government's problem or like, oh, you know, the government doesn't have money. So like there's a private sector's problem. You need to come in and fund it. It's actually about trying to devise a way um, to uh, make, so, so that it makes sense, so that there are incentives for all parties to get involved. And I think that is probably the most exciting part of sustainable finance right now. So, you know, when you go back, like, you know, going back to your previous question around, you know, like, do we need new products or do we need like whatever? We definitely need new products. We don't necessarily need more, dare I say it, like, you know, we don't need more ESG funds, right? <laughs> necessarily. What we need, like, we need to have scalable ideas on how we can address the bottlenecks, you know, the financing gaps, or to direct money in a way that would actually incentivize behavior of the different parties involved in order to get things going. And I think that is probably the most exciting part of, you know, where we sit right now. 
Stephanie Choi. And that brings us to the end of this edition of The Bulletin with UBS, setting the agenda in the fast-moving world of finance every week here on Monocle 24. You can listen again and find out more at monocle.com or catch up via your preferred podcast platform. The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24.